0: Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. Recently, I've been doing a lot of walking, and the longer the walk, the more I think. And one of the things that came to mind this last week was, if you could have one wish or one goal achieved or dream come true, what would it be? What would make you the most um, happy? Looking over my life, I could see the various answers that I would give as a child, it might have been like a new bike or um, some baseball cards, especially a, a 1984 Fleer update baseball set. That would have been great. To hit a home run uh, rather than striking out. Uh. As I got into my early teens, the daily hope or dream would have been simply just to get through the day without having to crack my voice in front of the whole school or to make a winning shot in basketball. Into college, the dream was really just to get through class as best as I could. Or just get through class, I should say, and just have some great friendships. But eventually, after college, it was to be married, find a job, have family, get a car, make enough money to meet the needs, make enough money to meet the wants, approval, acceptance, friendship, understanding, an apartment, then a home, then a nicer home, and sometimes more baseball cards and a pair of Air Jordans. But on and on it goes, doesn't it? It's a chasing. Some of these things are fine and even good and right, but... What is it about our pursuits, our dreams, our goals that push us? And then we're never really satisfied, there's always just another one. And what really, uh, truly is worthwhile? I was reminded of such wonders while working through the entire Old Testament for a class I was taking recently, And, and, and I came to the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a long monologue of one man on the topic of the meaning of our meaningless lives. The author of Ecclesiastes is simply referred to as the teacher. Some Bible translators state the name is Koheleth, which is a title meaning the teacher uh, or preacher, or one who addresses a gathering of people. And that teacher, uh, we believe, is King Solomon. And the scriptures have a great deal to say about the life of Solomon. Next to Jesus, he was the wisest man who ever lived. In fact, he was given that option to say if he could have any one thing, what would it be? And he had the wisdom to ask for wisdom, and God gave that to him. Uh, he was a master of really innumerable uh, subjects and, and wrote 3,000 Proverbs, 1,005 songs, and uh, three books of the Bible. His power was unparalleled as he reigned as king over israel for roughly 40 years during a season of peace and prosperity in which leaders from all over the earth visit his kingdom to inquire of him he also oversaw the construction of god's temple and his own palace that took seven and 13 years respectively to complete his complicated family life though uh included a significant chasing and pursuit uh he found a way to have 700 wives individually uh, say yes to him and then on top of that uh, 300 concubines Those numbers, one more time, are 700 and 300. Insert some kind of classic pastor joke about how many mother-in-laws that would be. Anyway, Solomon devoted his life to answer that great question, what is the meaning of life? It seems as though he threw himself into everything life has to offer with reckless abandon, uh, serving as his own subject in the lab of life. Now, after growing up in the influence or affluence of his father David, in time, Solomon departed the ways of his God to indulge his own pointless passions. And the fact that he wrote Ecclesiastes indicates that he recognized the folly of his wayward ways, returned to the Lord, and wrote an honest autobiography Of the empty and shallow life that he discovered apart from God. Solomon sought the best that life had to offer and then realized that nothing compares to a life simply lived in obedience to God. The book of Ecclesiastes seems to communicate the notion that the author was bored and really burned out toward the end of his life. That actually reminds me of something that I remember having in middle school. And uh, my brother and I, we had a Nintendo, then a Super Nintendo. Uh, maybe you can remember. And there was actually a supplemental thing you could purchase for your Nintendo games, and that was called a Game Genie. And really what it would do, the Game Genie would be placed over the cartridge that would then be placed into the game system. And what it did is it offered all the cheat codes, if you will, allowing the player to essentially do whatever desired. Never-ending lives, unlimited strength and power, unlimited resources, and a whole lot more. However, the experiment eventually lost its luster. The meaning of the game actually vanished. Solomon summed up his great life experiment with one word that appears around 30 t- uh, thirty-five times in the twelve chapters of Ecclesiastes. The book opens and closes with the Hebrew word habel. The word translated is in variety of ways. Uh, from meaningless, to vanity, to emptiness, Hebel refers to a vapor, that which is a, a, is a wisp, fleeting, elusive, or quickly passing. This reveals that life must be pursued with then great urgency because the days between birth and death pass like the mists of a breath on a cold morning. So while the book's emphasis on life as meaningless is somber, there's also insight not to be missed missed the the insight is gained by the work of introspection concerning the life under the sun when you have access to all things what ends up being the meaning of anything this phrase under the sun appears around 30 times it's a phrase that carries the meaning of life lived with no connection to god no relationship with god or understanding the meaning of life from god's viewpoint it's it's a life that is directed by self Therefore, it's limited in understanding, vision, and fueled only by appetite. It's a life as the world sees it, not as God sees it. Ecclesiastes is honest in teaching that history repeats itself, as one generation after another uh, does life their own way, looking for meaning in anything other than God. Solomon has a way of not only being candid about his own life, but also then pointing out the folly of our own times and lives as well. In chapter one, verse three, Solomon points out to us man's problem, uh, the vanity of looking for life's meaning or finding identity in anything else but God. And first, he starts off with finding identity, trying to find your identity or worth in your job or your labor. How often does a man think dim of himself if he actually loses his job? If you were to say to a gentleman, "Tell me about yourself," and a guy that has lost his job recently, they almost always lead with um, before what they do for a living. But if they've lost their job, they've lost their vocation. With the head downward in the shame, they may say, like, I'm unemployed. Life under the sun often seeks to find value or identity from personal performance rather than God's proclamation of self, of who we are in him, uh, trying to find our value in our personal performance rather than Christ's performance for man's sake. Solomon speaks of the monotony of labor in verse 5 and the dissatisfaction of living only for a job or income in verse 8. He reminds his readers that in time, all of that will be forgotten. Later, Solomon continues saying that the chasing of earthly wisdom, applying his mind to the study and the exploring of the wisdom of all that is found under the heavens, meaning outside of God's wisdom, is inferred. Uh, For its own sake, wisdom for its own sake is vanity, and that living according to that earthbound wisdom is actually vanity. In chapter 2, Solomon makes it clear that a life chasing pleasure is vanity. He said that laughter is madness, and that pleasure accomplishes nothing. He tried cheering himself up with wine and embracing folly. Nope. Didn't work. All vanity, he says. But he doesn't stop there. He he then moves on to the idea of, of chasing a life of toil and creating and building and in and in and, and artistry, undertaking great projects in life like houses, vineyards, gardens, parks and planting, all kinds of fruit trees, reservoirs to water groves and flourishing trees was all vanity, he says. Solomon stated earlier that there is nothing new, nothing in life under the sun to say, hey, look, something new. Even more bleak is Solomon's take on legacy. He basically says that former generations are forgotten, so even the idea of being remembered for personal greatness is vanity because mankind is quickly vanishing from view and remembrance. In chapter 2, he tells us he had scores of people to work for him in his home, that he brought them in as slaves, and he uh, owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before him, and yet it was all meaningless. The next verse says that he sought meaning in amassing silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, all vanity. He also chased for the meaning of life in music, uh, male and female singers, as he puts it, entertainment, and found it in the end, meaningless. Most notably, besides his great wisdom, he created a harem for himself as well, everything that delights a man's heart, and it was meaningless. In chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he said that he became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before him, and denied himself nothing his eyes or heart wanted. And it was all meaningless, and chasing after the wind, and nothing was truly gained. In chapter 2, verse 17, Solomon admits that he hated his life, because all that he had done was grievous to him, and he realized that in death he would be leaving all that he did and acquired behind him. He recognizes that under the sun, all anyone can do is eat, drink, and be merry in their own toil. But honestly, it's meaningless. For without God, who can find enjoyment? He's, he's saying, to the person who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of work and amassing whatever they can, which will ultimately be hand it over to another. Reading this first few chapters, you just go like, oh, in many ways, this book just seems miserable, doesn't it? Depressed or hopeless. And as you read through Ecclesiastes, you hope for some good news. However, it's clear that the author is building a case that hope is not going to be found under the sun. So where should one look? Maybe beyond this place, maybe beyond the created to the creator? could could god bring hope would god send hope to this place making life meaningful rather than meaningless eternal rather than a mist and that's where solomon takes us at the end of the book he sums it all up that the most meaningful way of life a proper chasing uh, the point of life the victorious life the best results of life is to trust and fear the lord to obey his commands and therefore both fulfill the duty of mankind and find everlasting meaning in an eternal relationship with God. He, see, he, he's calling his readers to pursue relationship with God. To The great thing about this is that God actually pursues people and is ready and willing to have this relationship. He demonstrated this kind of care, this love, by the sending of his son Jesus. So if we were to succinctly state all of God's commands, if the first thing is to fear God, to look to him, and the next thing is to obey his commands, if we were to put in our hands just all of God's law, all of what he's into and reducing the point of Christendom and the point of life that makes life meaningful, what would we what would it be? What would that law be? And the answer is this. To love God with all we are and and to love others as we love ourselves. And by that phrase, I mean to view yourself as loved, to live in your identity of God's view of you, to live loved. And then when you have that, you, you can't give what you don't got, but if you have the love of God, then you're free to love him and other people with no strings attached. And that's a life worth chasing. This is where we find real meaning, to know God, to know the Father's love, to live loved and then give to others that which we've been given. And the person that is able to live this way, rather than all the other goals and dreams and and chasings and trying to find meaning in those things under the sun, the person that is able to live this way is not only truly wise and successful, but wins. They win at life. They find meaning and satisfaction and blessing and peace Enjoy a true, deep-rooted contentment. And you and I are invited. We're invited to learn from this warning and this invitation. I pray that you live love today and that you give what you've been given and that is to love others. If this podcast has been of encouragement to you, uh, please share it with others. And for more information about Rooted to Live, Um, Or to support this podcast, visit RootedToLive.com.